You ever misplace stuff? You guys do that? No, I'm the only one? Okay. Uh, I Honestly, I generally don't. I have, I have a place for everything. Now, no one else may know where that place is, but I do. Uh, I have a place for everything. It's not the misplacement of things that bothers me. It's when I don't know that I've misplaced. You'll see what I mean. Recently, and when I say recently, I mean six or nine months ago, uh, I went to the fridge because I needed some milk. I didn't want it. I needed it, okay, just so we're clear. I opened the refrigerator door, and I looked in, and the milk was not where it was supposed to be. And I did what Cindy said was very unusual, and that is that I moved stuff around to see if maybe the milk had gotten behind something. I was desperate, you guys. It didn't work. still wasn't there. And so I said, Cindy, do you know where the milk is? And she said, yes, it's right where you put it. I said, what do you mean? And she walked over and she stood by me and she said, Kenny, you walked into the kitchen, you went to the fridge, you opened it up, you grabbed the milk, you put it on the table, and uh, you walked away and you came back. I have no recollection of this. But the milk was right there where she said I put it. Zero recollection. And I was like, oh man, that's not good. When you forget, when you don't know that you forgot something is trouble. And and that's where that's where I was six or nine months ago. I was like, oh, I don't know. But I realized something about that. And that's this: that when we don't realize we've misplaced something, uh, that's the worst spot we can be in. And it happens with us theologically where we misplace our faith. Let me explain. When we use God, when we use Jesus as a vehicle to the thing that we want, instead of God, Jesus being who we want, it's a problem. It's a problem. Happens like this. We saw it a lot throughout COVID where people would say things like this. "Uh, I, I just want God to keep me safe, but I got COVID or somebody else I know got COVID and, and, He didn't show up the way I wanted him to, and so I'm out. Well, because they saw God as a vehicle to get what they wanted. And we see that when people will say things like, "Uh, I need a new job. There's there's more month than money. I need some help here. God, will you supply for me something additionally? And God doesn't show up quite the way they think that God should show up, and they find themselves pulling away from God because of that. That's misplacing your faith. Uh, another, another way is in health issues. Like, God, something has happened in my life or a friend's life, and I just need you to meet them the way, this way and heal them, heal me. And he doesn't do it the way that we think he should, and then uh, people pull away. Or maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe a family member, someone you love or care about. Maybe they've, they're wayward or doing something that you don't want, or maybe even, Lord, I just need someone to love, and I need someone to love me. And when God doesn't supply the way we think he should, oftentimes we pull away. We misplace our faith. It happens often, and we're going to talk about that throughout our time together. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Mark chapter 11. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand, and one of our staff members will come and give you a scripture where you're at. Uh, You can use your digital device if you like. I just trust that you'll 
actually use your device for that. Uh, that'll be my step of faith today, I suppose. Um, part of the reason that we are in uh, Mark is because we're continuing this series identifying who Jesus is. Mark chapter 11 through 16 is about a third of Mark. This third is dedicated to the last week of Jesus, sometimes referred to as the Passion Week. This, this uh, Passion Week identifies uh, each day of Jesus going up to the cross, and we see some things unique about Jesus. When we sat down and started to talk about this series, some things became really evident, and that is this week is all over the place. There's uh, Jesus' triumphal entry, and there's a cursing of a fig tree, and there's a turning over table. There's all kinds of stuff. And trying to find, like, what brings it all together was really tricky. And where we landed was this, that Jesus reveals himself throughout this whole section, 11 through 16, as the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And this is established in this passage we're going to read today, where it says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, when we talked about that, we realized that uh, oftentimes God shows up in ways that we don't think he should, surprising ways. And we're going to work through that throughout this series. But before we go there, I'd like to spend a few moments in prayer. And as I do, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to ask God that he would open your eyes, that if there is an element in your life, even if it was just one time, but if this is a pattern especially, where you are using God as a vehicle to get the things and stuff that you want, and being disappointed in God when he doesn't give you the things and stuff that you want, that he would, one, give you eyes to see that. Two, that you would be willing to confess that to God. And three, that you would be willing to repent. Because that attitude is actually idolatry. And idolatry is a sin before God. And, and so I'm going to ask you to confess that and turn away from it and turn to God. So let's spend just a few moments in prayer. I'll give us just a quiet moment and then I'll jump in in prayer and we're going to get into the scriptures together today. Almighty God, lover of our souls, we come before you today and we thank you that you are God and that you are God alone. You're not sharing your position with any human ever, but that you love us completely and utterly and totally. And Lord, in the midst of your love, you've called us to yourself and we confess to you that we've created idols, idols of things and stuff relationships, of wants and desires, where we've wanted these things more than we've wanted you, and that this is nothing new. This has been happening in humankind since the very beginning. And so we acknowledge it, but we're not justifying that behavior. We're confessing it to you, Lord. Would you help us to see that in real time as we are seeking uh, stuff instead of you, 
It's one thing to thank you. It's one thing to present our requests and submit to your answer. It's another thing, Lord, to judge you for not answering our requests the way that we think. And so, Lord, forgive us for that. Help us to walk in a way that honors and glorifies you. Help us to see you uniquely and specifically. Help us, Lord, to surrender to your kingship in our lives. For it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. Amen. I want to put some context around where we're going. And to do that, I'm going to have to put up a few dots on our page. These dots are going to connect in such a way that it will help us to understand the passage that we're going into, recognizing that Scripture is a narrative. It's God's story throughout, from Genesis to Revelation. It's God's story, and people play a role in that. In fact, people are a prize of God. He loves people. He's created us in His image. And so throughout this narrative, we'll see how God interacts with people in unique ways. And so every element of Scripture is not disconnected, it's interconnected. So every part, from the very beginning to the very end, this is a tapestry that's woven together that reveals a beautiful picture of God's plan. A plan that establishes Him as King, His restoration, and salvation for His people. And so let's talk about that. I, I want to put one dot on the page that starts in 586 BC. 586 BC, this is what happens. Ezekiel is a prophet. And Israel has been wayward. They've had idols. They've oppressed uh, people within their own land. Not just that, but they have uh, stopped listening to the prophets. And not just that, they have violated the covenant of God. And there are consequences. That consequence is, is, is going to be seen in the Babylonian control and disbursement of the Jewish people from the nation of Israel. But it happens in Ezekiel chapter 10 through 12. You don't have to turn there right now, but you might want to look at it supplementally later. And what happens in Ezekiel 10 through 12 is this. Ezekiel sees a vision. And what he sees is the glory of God rising up out of the temple and coming out of the temple to the eastern gate in Jerusalem. In other words, the picture is clear. God is not in the temple. The worship there has not been adequate. It's not been acceptable. And there are consequences and because the nation of Israel turned against God, turned away from God, there are some consequences to that. And God works those out. That's an important piece that we're going to come back to as we identify, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The, the next two dots that I'm going to put on the page are found in a couple of passages. Uh, you may be able to see this. You may not be able to. I'll tell you the passage. The first one is Psalm 118, 25 through 27. It's a halil uh, psalm, and what that means is it's a psalm of praise. It was used during Passover. Uh, it was a psalm that probably was recited by Jesus even at the Lord's Supper uh, that night. Uh, it's a psalm that identifies uh, God's sovereignty and the nation of Israel, and within it has some identifying markers of the Messiah. And so I'm just going to give you a small section of it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O oh Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us, bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. And so this this, um, mantra of blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord is specifically associated with the Messiah who is to come. It's going to be an identifier that the Messiah is here. And they wanted the Messiah to come. Because some things were going to happen. One of those things that would happen is that he would establish his kingdom and that kingdom would be eternal. Let's fast forward now. Rome takes over and they dominate Israel and they begin to oppress the people. And they've gone through this with the Greeks. They don't want to go through this with the Romans. And they are calling out to God, please save them. Hosanna, save us. And what they're expecting is the king to show up. And the king is going to take the throne of David and establish his kingdom from heaven to earth. And this kingdom is not going to have any end. It's going to be eternal. And what does that mean? Well, it means that Rome has no power over Israel anymore. And wouldn't that be great to not have to spend taxes to the Romans to give them for their own idolatry? Wouldn't that be great to not do that? God save us. And the mantra goes from God save us to being about, from being about God to being about us. And so the comment, what they're wanting is, Lord, rescue us from these Romans. God becomes a vehicle. Their faith is misplaced in many cases. And we're going to see that in just a few moments. One of the ways we know this is true is because of Jesus' own words in Matthew chapter 23, which is the next dot I'm going to put on the page to to create some framework around where we're going. Uh, In Matthew 23, 38, this is is after the triumphal entry, so this is after the passage that we're going to talk about. Jesus is in Jerusalem, and as he's in Jerusalem, you can see his heart getting heavy for his people. And he has this time where he says, how I've longed to bring you in to me, that you would trust me, that you would have faith just like chicks have in their mom. Like, just, just like a hen would bring together her chicks and trust her and follow her. That's what I have longed for you, that you would be easy to gather. But that is not the case. And then he says this. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Baruch haba beshem Adonai. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. You're actually going to learn that in a song later. Uh, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus says this, that the nation of Israel is finally going to give it. It's not going to be just a superficial, we're going to call out blessings. Uh, You as the one who is blessed in the name of the Lord to get what we want. Jesus is saying, no, there's going to be a time where I'm going to be what you want. You're going to cry out to me and I'll come back. And so all of this that we see in the first advent or the, the coming of the Messiah is a reminder that he's coming again. And I, I guess my heart in all of this is that, is that we would lead that charge as his people to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Lord, we are looking forward to your return. If, if you want to think of it like a stadium, 
You ever been to a stadium? I don't know that they do this anymore, but they used to, waves used to be really big. You ever gone to a stadium where the whole stadium does a wave and somebody starts it or a section starts it and it goes all the way around? Uh, sometimes a couple times around the stadium. It's a pretty cool event. What if our voices just began that, right? Like, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And in the stadium of Christianity, it goes around. And finally, the, the nation of Israel, they're responding in faith. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Baruch habab eshim Adonai. Well, what if that's a part of this call today? Uh, keep those three points in mind because they're going to frame where we're going. Uh, as we walk through this together, as we walk through this together, you will work okay, I think. Here, whoop, there we go. All right. Uh, the first section uh, that we'll walk through is the fulfillment of prophecy. Then we'll go to the unveiling of the Messiah, and finally, the paradox of the humble king. And we're going to end our time together with some action steps, some things that we can do, some challenges that maybe the Lord would have for us. Well, let's just jump right in. In Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, uh, we'll talk about it as we go. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, the, the city of peace, to Bethphage, uh, the house uh, of uh, unripe figs, and Bethany, the house uh, of uh, dates or misery. Now, when we say dates, we're talking about the fruit, not going out on a date, just so you know. At the Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives is an important piece to this because it is east of Jerusalem. It's east of the old city. Okay, so in biblical times, it's east of the old city. It's an important piece. We'll come back to it later. Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it to me. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. I don't know if that strikes you as funny, but it sure does me. Uh, let me say it this way. Imagine if I said to you, hey, would you do me a favor and go to Hy-Vee? When you go to Hy-Vee, the first car you see is going to have its keys in it. If you just jump in it and drive it over here, I'd appreciate that. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> no, super uncomfortable with that one, Kenny. <laughs> well, uh, Jesus is saying some things in this passage that is contextual. Like, it is cultural, and we, we miss it pretty easily. Though I do think the disciples did have to manifest some faith and trust the Lord in this situation, Jesus is saying some stuff. Let me identify it. Uh, first of all, there is a principle of eminent domain that kings had throughout the ancient world. A king had the ability to go to a home, a place, an area, and he could ask for your horse, your donkey, whatever, and it, you didn't get to say, eh, it's not going to work for me today. It was, it was as if it was his. He could do with it whatever he wants. Jesus is taking a kingly, a sovereign approach in this situation and is then identifying himself as the king of Israel when he says to go get this donkey. Additionally, uh, additionally in this passage, there's a colt. This, this colt, as we find out throughout the scriptures, is, is, it hasn't been ridden before. 
That was also true for kings. Uh, When a king had an animal, no one else got to ride that animal. It was his. He got to break it. uh, uh, He got to ride it. No one else got to get on it. This is another identifier that Jesus is king, and he's coming into this situation as the sovereign of Israel. It's an important piece. Don't miss this. The fulfillment of prophecy. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street. And they untied it. Let's pause there. Over, conservatively, over 300 prophecies about the advent, the coming of the Messiah. Out of those uh, prophecies, every single one of them has been fulfilled exactly and completely. Scientifically, this is in a unique category. So the probability of this happening, statisticians would say, is in a unique category. That unique category is called the miraculous. In other words, this shouldn't happen. Uh, Statistically, there is no way that 300 things that have been stated and spelled out could happen exactly as they were stated uh, afterwards. But perfectly in Christ it is. Jesus fulfills prophecy. One of those is in Zechariah 9.9. And I'll, I'll just identify it real quick. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, uh, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, now this is unique. It's not completely uncommon, but it is pretty unique. In that most kings, especially coronations, they would come in on a horse. It was a sign of their military prowess, their ability to wage war when they wanted to, and their sovereignty over the nation to wage war. It it was a power move. And kings could do that. In fact, most kings did do that. And especially in times of war, it gave the nation a lot of security, knowing, okay, the king's on his horse. He's taking care of business. We're in. So uh, the fact that this king doesn't show up on a horse is an identifier that he's not there to wage war. But there's a problem with that. Because the nation of Israel is oppressed by the Roman Empire. So wait a minute, you mean that the king who is going to establish his kingdom for eternity is going to show up and there's no war? That doesn't even make sense. And so many people believed that actually the Messiah would show up, at least initially, on a horse. Zechariah 9.9 tells us that he's going to show up on a donkey, and indeed he does. So what does it mean to show up on a donkey? Well, it, it means that this is a time of peace. So... After a king would conquer nations, many times, after they had submitted to his rule, he would ride in on a donkey, and it was an identifier of peace. But also, it's pretty humbling, isn't it, (laughs) to ride in on a donkey? And we see that with Jesus, this humility of him revealing who he is, of answering prophecy and revealing his kingship, his messianic position Uh, is very humbling that he rides in on a donkey. The prince of peace who is the king of the universe and is 
willing to condescend to be the king of Israel, shows up in the city of peace on an animal of peace, saying there is something better for you than what you think you need. Don't miss it. Let's keep going. Jesus, uh, the unveiling of the Messiah in Jesus. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it. It's like a saddle. Uh, And he sat on it. Uh, I think that's interesting. Uh, Anybody here ever broke a horse? Like an untamed horse, a horse that has never been ridden. Anybody ever done that? I I haven't either, but I've seen it done. And it's scary. Um, It turns out that horses and donkeys are similar in this respect. They don't really like things on it. Right? Like when something is on the back of an animal, it's usually being attacked. Right? You, you can visualize that. So its default is not to trust things on its back. It's to get things off of its back. I, I don't know that this is true, but it makes a lot of sense. Get off my back. Maybe it's that. Like, yeah, you're agitating. Uh, horses and donkeys are like that too. For Jesus to be able to get on this donkey and ride it is like, this is almost supernatural in and of itself. I don't want to play this up too much, but there does seem to be some sort of sense that Jesus has this authority to bring peace into this moment on this wild, this animal that has never been ridden to say, oh, wait, wait, no, I'm, I'm comfortable. You can take me. Like that, that is an amazing feat. And many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. Uh, again, this is a significant sign. They didn't have red carpets in those days. So instead of red carpets, predating red carpets, were throwing out their cloaks. Hey, you, you are somebody special. You are celebrity. Guess who got celebrity in those days? Kings. So Jesus is again being identified as the king of Israel as he enters into Jerusalem from which direction? The east. That's right. Verse 9. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna. That means save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Referring to Psalm 118. It's a messianic claim. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Get rid of those Romans. Establish your kingdom. Free us. Save us from them. But that's not what Jesus came to save. That wasn't about saving them from the Romans. It's something better. But they, in many cases, have misplaced their faith because we're going to see within a week, within a week, they're going to go from this to turning on Jesus and shouting, crucify him. One moment, he's, uh, he's going through this parade of coronation, and the next, they're shouting, crucify. Why? Because their faith has been misplaced. He's a vehicle to get what I want and not who I want. It's a big distinction, uh, but it's significant. In this moment, they're identifying that Jesus is the Messiah, the King of Israel, who's going to take his place. So if you were a king, and you were going into your capital, where would you go next? What would be your first stop? Maybe you would go to the oppressors, 
and say, hey, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, I'm the king of Israel and you're not. And um, I'm taking over. So get out. I mean, maybe there's this confrontation that would happen. Maybe he would go to a palace and say, hey, uh, it's my palace. Thanks for keeping it warm for me. But where does Jesus go? Watch and see as he rides in from the east. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. Do you see the symbolism? Because there is this one narrative that has been woven throughout the scriptures, we can't miss the significance of Jesus going to the temple as if to say, hey, I know in Ezekiel the prophecy was that the presence of God, the glory of God is going to leave and go to the east. And now Jesus is saying, hey, I, the glory of God is coming back. He's back in the temple. But now there's going to be this review. Are, are there still idols? Is there still oppression of the people? Are they still not following the prophets? Are they still breaking covenant with God? And that's what happens over the course of the next week. As, they walk through, uh, the, as we walk through this section of scripture. Jesus is revealed as the humble king. Augustine says, the master of humility, the Lord of humility is Christ. I like that. Now, why would he say it? Well, he goes on, Augustine goes on and says, uh, and I'm paraphrasing this, he says that the king of glory condescends to be the king of Israel. Do you get that? The heavenly throne is greater than the Israeli throne. We understand that. Like, there is no throne on earth that is more magnificent than the eternal throne of heaven. And Jesus is willing to condescend, to come down to that place. That's ultimate humility. That he's willing to ride in not on uh, an animal of war, but an animal of peace. It's ultimate humility that Jesus shows and actually models for his people. Like this is a kingdom value that Jesus is exercising. So as we walk through this together and we see the fulfillment of prophecy in Jesus, we, we learn some things. One of the things we learn is I, I, I can trust Jesus. I can trust his word. If 300 prophecies, now there are more prophecies in scripture than 300, but 300 specifically about the advent of Christ, him coming in the flesh, if there are 300 of those that are fulfilled perfect and absolutely, I can trust the rest. The, the rest are about his return. He's coming again. It may not be today, and it may not be tomorrow, but he's, he's coming again. It's soon. And so we keep our eyes on it, the fulfillment of the scripture. But not just the prophecies. It also means I can trust his word, that his word is true. What Jesus says I can do as the king of kings and lord of lords who came in the flesh, he actually is king over us. For those of us who have surrendered to him, who've, said, who've called on him as our savior and our lord, master. It's his will, not my will. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He reigns supreme there. He reigns supreme in the lives of his followers here. Fulfillment of prophecy. Unveiling of the Messiah. One of the things that we see in this passage is that uh, the Messiah is what is being unveiled. Not freedom from Rome. 
So what is our, who is our Messiah? Who is our Christ? Who is our Savior? Sometimes that's best identified in the prayers that we pray. Again, I'm not suggesting we shouldn't pray about things, stuff, and relationships. But I'm saying that it shouldn't end there. Here's what I mean. For Israel, uh, what do they want? Freedom. That becomes their savior, not Jesus. He's just a vehicle to get them there. That is sometimes true uh, with us in the church too. God, will you meet this need? Will you do this thing? Will you give me this? I want that. I need this. And if you don't do this, if you don't give me that, if I can't have what I want, then I'm kind of done with you. But that's not how it works with a sovereign. He's king. And so our surrender is to him, absolutely. Thirdly, the paradox of the humble king, that Jesus comes with humility. The king of glory comes with humility. The one who speaks and worlds are created, he comes with humility. That is amazing. He could have been anywhere he wanted. He could have had it however he would have designed it. But what he does is he comes in on a donkey into Jerusalem in a time where there's, you know, not flushable <laughs> facilities. I'll use that word. Like, that is not a great time to be in Israel. But he came. Humbly. And he's established this for his people. So let's talk through some action steps, if we would. Let's first of all recognize Jesus' messianic fulfillment. That Jesus is the fulfillment of scriptures. He is the end goal. Lord, just like I need you to provide for me this month, I actually need you even more. Your provision is salvation. Lord, I need you to heal me. But guess what, Lord? You are who I'm seeking. You are the healing I need. Lord, I, I want this relationship to look this certain way. But actually, the relationship that I really need is that relationship with you. You are the end goal in all of this. And Jesus is the one who brings that to the people of God. He, he is the one who delivers it. He's not just the vehicle. He's the end goal. That we would have him. That we would walk uh, with him. That we would proclaim Jesus as Lord. As I said earlier, how great one day we're able to pull back and look at eternity if the Lord would give us eyes to see it. How great would it be that this is a time that is uniquely designated in church history that the people of God are anticipating the Lord and they're saying, blessed be, blessed be the, the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. I am anticipating you. I want to see you. I want to experience you. I want to know you. I want you. And that we could see this just movement kind of swell around the stadium of believers that it would end in this just glorious proclamation of the nation of Israel, Baruch, Habab, Hashem, Adonai, and that the coming of the king would be before us. Like how cool would that be that he's starting something now within us I believe that I believe that to be true I see that in the scriptures and so we want to proclaim Jesus as Lord it's not just an anticipation of him coming it's that he's here that the end of Ephesians 1 1 is that he he fills all and is in all he, he doesn't just enter us but he's also around us he loves us 
And so we can call others to him by letting them know about Jesus proclaiming the truth and embracing the paradox of Christ, that he is the king of kings and lord of lords and the one who would humble himself and ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. Do you know what the beginning of wisdom and knowledge is? It's the fear of the Lord. I would like to take that term and, and, and uh, kind of uh, take some sandpaper and smooth it off a little bit, make it easier to handle and to touch, uh, something that wouldn't be as gritty. Um, but, but that's not how the word's used. It is used in a respectful way. We have a respect for the Lord. But it also is terror. We, we have a certain terror of God. And that terror is not unlike the type of terror that you might experience in a storm. I grew up in a place in southern Indiana that was considered Tornado Alley. And early on, I remember the sirens going off and my mom, not gently, would say, get to the basement. Well, I got to tell you, as a young boy, that only made me want to know what was out there, right? (laughs) Get to the basement now. Okay. And... um, (laughs) And my dad, uh, I said, Dad, can I go out there with you and look? And he'd go, yep, stay close to me and don't tell your mom. And that was our, that was our room. <laughs> but I remember going out there and looking out in the sky, and the sky would be kind of clear, and then it would get dark. And as it got dark, there was a, there was a sense of dread. I'm not going to lie, like, oh, something's happening. And then we'd see these clouds start to swirl a little bit, and then a funnel would drop down. And it would go from quiet to hearing this overwhelming sense of wind around us. I didn't fear that because I hadn't experienced what my mom had experienced, that she had seen things like sheds picked up and moved onto other property, roofs uh, torn off of houses, people dying because of it. I, I didn't have a right fear. But when I experienced that, when I saw what was happening, and I'm vulnerable, like I, there is nothing I can do in that situation. I had a healthy respect, a fear of those kind of storms. Yep, it's wise to be in the basement when that kind of storm comes along. The beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. This God who can speak and worlds are created, you kidding me? He's way bigger than any tornado in southern Indiana. Greater than that. And there's a certain amount of fear and trust that I have to play in that place. And yet at the same time, this God of glory who angels cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He is also the one who goes, Kenny, I hear you. And I've longed to gather you up as a hen gathers her chicks and have you near me. That is, that's that amazing paradox of God that he's calling us into. As the worship team comes and we prepare our hearts for communion, I, I, I want to encourage you. And in fact, I want to challenge you to ask yourself the hard questions. Am I seeking God for God's sake or, or am I using God as a vehicle to get what I want? When I say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and I'm referring to Jesus, it's because I know he is the fulfillment of all things. And he, 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 not just all things out there, but also all things that I need, all things that I want. Or do I just use Jesus to get what I want? That's the challenge as we prepare for communion. Communion is for the believer, those who are following Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And then we're also called to examine our hearts, and that might look like this. As you go before the Lord today, Lord, give me eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. 
that I would see areas where I'm seeking stuff and things and not seeking you. That's confession. Repentance is, and Lord, forgive me. I repent of that, and I want you and to turn towards him. As you feel freedom in Christ to do so, I want to encourage you to go to the carpeted areas and go to the station nearest you, getting both elements and returning in the outer uh, aisle to your seat. And then at the end of this next song, we'll participate together. This is the song that I was referring to earlier that will help you learn a Hebrew phrase. But more than that, I I think the lyrics are uh, significant and maybe even help us to draw nearer to God in ways that, I, I don't know, give us some clarity. I hope you see that as we sing this next song together. Let me pray. Lord, we love you and we need you. We thank you and praise you and ask that you would be exalted and lifted up. Above all things, we know that we need you. We're walking through a physical world and sometimes we need stuff and things for livelihood, to live, to make it. But Lord, we are under your authority and however you choose to answer that, we surrender to you. So Lord, please forgive us for those times where we have deviated, where we've sought you as a vehicle to get what we wanted. Maybe we didn't even use those words. Maybe we didn't even think it quite like that, but we misplaced our faith. Our faith is in you. That you would be the goal. That you are our prize that we would know you and be immersed in you totally and completely for your good glory. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.